Hello again, this is Mark Dennis with Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. This evening we have an exciting show on St. Therese of Lisieux. We are going to talk about Therese's dealing with suffering. And we want to do that in the context of, uh, frankly, how the saints deal with suffering and what suffering has to teach us about our walk with the Lord. And as is always the case, my guest this evening, my co-host, Francis Harry, is with us. Francis, how are you? I'm doing very well. So blessed to be here and um, excited about this opportunity to share the message that Therese can uh, share with us on suffering. Of course, our listeners wouldn't be aware of this, Francis, but as we are getting ready to... uh, uh, engage in this program. We're both going through our own little bit obstacles, of, uh, right? <laughs> trials and obstacles. Getting here and uh, finding the time in our schedules to to make all this happen. So uh, we, of course, give the the program over as we always do to our Blessed Mother and ask her to guide and protect us and to help us send her message. And to do that, let's begin with a prayer, as we always do. Francis, would you lead us in prayer, please? Yes, and this comes from a prayer. Um, directed to Therese. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear St. Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face, I thank the Most Holy Trinity for all the graces lavished upon you and through you upon the world. I have great confidence in your intercession, both because of your power in heaven, since you yourself said that God would refuse you nothing, And because of your goodness and your promise that no one would invoke you without receiving an answer, since you would spend your heaven in doing good upon earth and let fall from heaven a shower of roses, intercede for us with the loving hearts of Jesus and Mary, that the Holy Spirit may assist us to understand your teaching on joy in suffering and may grant us the gift of fortitude that fired with a burning love of God and souls, we may eagerly follow you in joyous suffering and one day share in your glorious triumph. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Uh, as we begin the program this evening, I, I want to start with this um, um, sort of understanding. It's not a quote. I don't have a quote, although Teresa uh, Therese could uh, uh, certainly give us something akin to this, and Teresa of Avila as well. Uh, and frankly, John of the Cross. And that is this. I think to be a saint, to be a mystic, uh, and Therese was certainly a mystic. She didn't have the same um, degree, if you will, of mystical experiences that uh, Teresa of Avila had or perhaps John of the Cross. But uh, she is certainly a mystic. And in our modern era, uh, mystics like Padre Pio and so forth, uh, I think would validate this statement. And the statement is, there is no mysticism without suffering. There's no sainthood without suffering. There's no intimacy with our Lord without suffering. And Teresa makes clear in one of her writings that uh, there are various degrees of holiness. Um, And it is in large part uh, the measure by which we are willing to accept the everyday trials that come into our life, as she did, and she taught us so well, how those simple everyday trials become the means of sanctification through our suffering and through our bearing those sufferings in patience. And I think that's the great lesson that we're going to uh, touch on this evening, Francis. Right, it's that little way in action. The extraordinary life, excuse me, the ordinary life lived in an extraordinary way. Well, we should should cover some basics on uh, suffering. You know, it's such a compelling question, has been throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of humanity for that matter. 
but certainly in our modern era when we have uh, so much evidence of of the trials and tribulations that so many are facing across the globe in the form of starvation, of wars, of uh, natural phenomena, and so forth, it begs the question, why does God allow suffering? Let's eliminate some basic elements around that question, first of all. We know we are, by virtue of our fallen nature, a sinful people. And it's true that God allows suffering in our lives, oftentimes, to simply turn us back to him, to help us reach the point where we say there must be something, um, uh, um, you know, that gives uh, meaning to what it is that I'm undergoing, the trials that I'm undergoing. Uh, It may be a consequence of our sin, individual sin now, certainly a consequence of of the sinful nature of, of humanity. But um, there are times when God will simply allow suffering in our lives because he wants to turn us back to him. Absolutely. And I think we see evidence of that every day in our life. And it's good for us to stop and take note, take stock of the situation and try to make meaning of this because suffering is not meaningless. I think that message from Therese will be clearly indicated tonight. Yeah, in fact, uh, we should preface what we'll say about Therese in a moment with this statement. Uh, Therese has this very compelling perspective that we don't simply endure suffering. We eventually overcome it. And ultimately, if we reach that level of maturity in our relationship with the Lord, we absorb our suffering as love and we help, uh, we let it help us become love. That's the high stage to which uh, Teresa compels us and, and, and challenges us. And it's one of the reasons, I think, as we discussed, uh, Francis, last week, uh, that Therese is um, seen as a, not only a doctor of the church, but uh, according to our Holy Father, she is a master in the science of love. And we're going to understand, I think, as we talk about her and her suffering, um, exactly how she was able to uh, transfer her suffering into a positive and allow it to create in her this idea of becoming love, yes. becoming united with our she, Lord. She put into action the the saying of our Lord, pick up your cross and follow me. She actually did it. She she embraced it and she did it in the little simple ways that are available to each one of us, every one of us every day. Yeah. And just covering quickly the second point that I wanted to raise um, that that we eliminate before we actually get into Therese's teaching on suffering, and that is there are times, quite simply, when we will suffer for our sins. This is part of the human experience. It's part of the Christian experience. If we have fallen away from the Lord, if we have um, willingly committed sin, then there has to be reparation for that. And, And we shouldn't minimize that. I remember having a conversation with a very good priest one time, and I was trying to get him to say that basically our purgatorial sufferings, be they here or in purgatory, are simply a consequence of the human experience, and you know we all have to go through that. And he said, yes, yes, that's all true, but don't forget, we all must make reparation for the sins that we've committed. And when we've strayed from the Lord, one of the ways he calls us back is to let the consequence of our decisions impact us in a way that, again, leads us to that question, what does it all mean? And it's just like all good parents know that you have to discipline your kids when they mess up, because if you don't, they will continue to go more and more outside the boundaries. And so we're just doing naturally what, by grace, we do spiritually. 
Let's go into, um, you, you have in front of you a, a text that you had recommended to me and one that you wanted to begin. And let, tell our listeners what we're uh, reading from. And we'll do that. We've got a couple different texts, I think, that are very good in terms of providing insight on Therese's uh, perspective on suffering. Well, this is a little booklet. Um, it's called The Message of St. Therese of Lisieux by Monsignor Vernon Johnson. And he talks about her little way. And he has this one chapter on love through suffering. And I think it's very uh, poignant for us in this discussion because he starts out with, how can we use our pain as a means of loving our Heavenly Father? Yes, people want to know. How do we do that? And so he gives this great example. I just love this example. He says, in the natural sphere, what it is that takes a little one to its mother, or what is it that takes a little one to its mother quicker than anything else? Okay, so what is it? Okay, you've got little children out there. What brings these children to you you as a parent quicker than anything else? Well, pain. Right. When a little child hurts themselves, even even just a little, it goes with its pain straight to its mother's arms. Okay? And there in its mother's arms, the pain remains, right? But it finds something that makes the pain easier to bear. Um there's sympathy. There's an understanding between the mother and the little child. And no science can analyze this. No philosopher can define this. But this is a fundamental fact of the human life. Well, it's the same way in the spiritual realm. And so the little soul, offering every little thing in its daily life as an expression of its love, comes across pain. So what does it do? Therese teaches us. She's running to the Father. She knows that all is love between herself, the child, and the father, God. And she is so dependent on him, and she is so confident in his love, which you know, he he loves us infinitely. Nothing can be uh, put between us. She says that, you know, by going into him, uh, he is her strength. That this life is to ordained to be a setting whereby it may express its love, and it at once seeks to find its father's love somewhere in its pain. So, in other words, it takes its pain straight to the Heavenly Father's arms. And in that embrace, again, the pain's not taken away, but the soul is gathered into the mystery of the crucified God. And there is strength in God. So that scripture verse, God is my strength, plays out beautifully here. Yeah, and she focuses throughout um, her writings on this idea. Of course, we've talked about the fact that Therese... Um, her theology is the little way she constantly focuses on her own neediness on her own uh, childlike nature in response to God. But ultimately it all comes back to love. I mean, we're dealing with somebody here who, despite this uh, theology of, uh, of perpetual childhood, if you will, is yet very mature in the spiritual life, very deep in, in, in terms of understanding what love really is. I mean, she's taken us through and John Paul and his writings about her. And of course, uh, Benedict uh, the 16th, most recently when he spoke about her in this series, he did on the doctors of the church talked about the depth of her teaching. And I've said to you in the past, I, I wrestled with the idea, how could this simple little Carmelite nun in France who traveled very little, of course, had, uh, relatively speaking, uh, very few uh, worldly experiences. How is it she acquired this 
a depth of understanding about the meaning of love and the application of suffering in developing that love. And of course, uh, she would argue it came through her prayer life. And we'll we'll do a separate uh, uh, program, of course, on Therese's prayer life. But she says, this is not something I read in a book or just read in a book, if you will. And in fact, she says, even if you read this in a book, you won't really understand it until you've experienced what you just talked about, Francis. And that is in the struggle and the trials of life, be they physical, mental, spiritual, we ultimately are given the capacity to come out of ourselves, recognize that there must be deeper meaning to our human existence, and it leads us to the Father. If we question and we ultimately seek answers to that question about a human suffering, it must lead us back to the Father, and that's exactly what Therese is teaching us. And she says, suffering is indeed a treasure because Jesus came down on earth on purpose to possess it. So... Um, if you look at that, you know, suffering is one thing we humans can do that angels can't. So this is one truly beautiful thing that we can offer up in union with the cross uh, to the Father for the salvation of souls. And Therese gives us all these examples. You know, I have to stop here for just a minute because so many people who think of Therese, the little flower, they think that she had this very... Um, spoiled little life, you know, that, you know, she didn't suffer very much. So let's, do you mind if we take a few moments to just highlight some of the things that she suffered? Yeah, we touched on these, of course, last week, and we continued to say, we'll we'll come back to this because it's important in the context now of this discussion about suffering. But um, let's go through some of the the, the critical elements. And of course, let's, let's also point out, as Therese did late in life, in her last conversations, a separate text that uh, we may draw from this evening, and certainly we recommend um, those uh, um, uh, reflections by Therese. Uh, but she talks about how I kept this hidden. I didn't reveal this. I I, I made an effort to um, remain silent with regard to what I was experiencing. But late in life, she wants to, I think, give us her spiritual biography. And so some of that comes out in both her letters and her dialogue with her sisters at the end of her life. But what are some of the highlights in, in the experiences that she had of suffering? Of course, we know that her mother dies when she's only four. And then her sister takes on the role of mother. And then her sister leaves to go to the convent. And so Therese is, you know, left, you know, without the mother figure again. And then her father has a mental breakdown, um, has some paralysis. There's issues there. And she had seen this in a kind of dream vision state and uh, it's revealing itself playing out in her life. That was a great suffering, but she thought that was one of her greatest graces. She herself at a very young age had a a mysterious illness where she had uh, all kinds of hallucinations and fevers and uh, shakings. And, you know, they they thought they were going to lose her. Um, her parents had already lost, uh, I believe, four other children before she came along. And so infant death mortality rate was still high in this day. And so they were afraid that they were going to lose her. In fact, shortly after her birth, they thought they were going to lose her. And that was one of the reasons why they had to send her away for a whole year so that she may be uh, breastfed by another mother because her own mother could not do it because she was suffering from uh, a tumor in the breast, uh, breast cancer in the end. 
So even at a very early age, uh, Therese, uh, as you mentioned, even in her first year of life is experiencing suffering. When she became uh, aware of the experience of suffering at age four, uh, some of the other incidences you relate, uh, there are uh, physical as well as uh, mental uh, trials that she has to undergo. So she's exposed to this at a very early age. And you might well imagine somebody having to take on that uh, trial at such an early age would already begin to question where is this fitting in? I, I, I can't put this in, you know, sort of context. And we have to caution, too, I think, for so many of our listeners. Um, when we're talking about Therese, as we've talked about Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross and other great Carmelite saints, as well as a, uh, an army of saints in the church, we look at their lives and we look at their experience and we begin to question, why is it that they're going through so many, what appear to be so many trials, so many difficult, so many... Um, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, so much pain, a- and you might think, from an idealistic standpoint, well, these are people who pray and they're close to God and they're doing the God doing God's work. Wouldn't their life be somewhat easier as a result of that? And of course, the reality we know is it's just the opposite. Their lives are not, from a from a human and a worldly perspective, um, easy or without burden or without trials. But they have found a way through their relationship with our Lord to utilize those trials and to absorb that suffering in a way that transmits it into love. And that's the powerful lesson that Therese, I think more than anybody that we've read, Francis, or who we've studied in the last many months, Therese, perhaps more than any of them, gives us this insight on the use of our daily sufferings as a means of growing in love and in union with our Lord. Yeah, and one of the best pictures of that is those last 18 months of her life. Now, she is dying of tuberculosis. The first doctor doesn't want to admit that it's tuberculosis because everybody in France at this time is scared of tuberculosis because lots of people are dying of it. And so he doesn't want to say that's what it is. And maybe he thinks that that's not what it is. But he's gone on vacation, and she has a relapse of a very bad situation. They call in another doctor, and he gives the diagnosis. She's already lost a lung and started to lose the other lung. And then she's getting gangrene in the intestines and all the suffering that goes with that. So she is getting emaciated, fevers, you know, uh, terrible, terrible. And uh, in her last few days, she doesn't even get morphine to help with the, the pain. She's going through this death agony without any kind of relief. And if you think that wasn't enough, on top of that, she has this interior trial of uh, believing that um, believing that she believes heaven is real, that God is there, but the the trial is that the trial you know, of faith. That, yes, trial the trial of faith. Of faith. Right. Thank you. That's the words I was like. That heaven is not there, and that God is you know not real, or God has rejected her, and so she's dealing with all of that. So she chooses to believe what she wants to um, happen according she, she, to her faith. Yeah, she has an intellectual understanding. How much of us? Uh, how many of us, rather? Uh, hold on to this, right? We can retain our intellectual understanding. We can read and say, yes, from an intellectual standpoint, I understand what God says to me in Scripture. I understand uh, that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And I can continue to to um, intellectually accept that uh, premise. But from a faith standpoint, oftentimes we struggle. 
in her era, of course, this was the era of Nietzsche and Jung and so forth, and um, there were many uh, who were, um, of course, criticizing uh, belief and faith at that time. Sounds a little bit uh, uh, modern uh, to our own experience, Francis, but nonetheless, she offered herself as a victim in these very times for those who, in fact, had lost their faith. Very much like Mother Teresa in our modern era, who, by the way, looked to Therese uh, as a patron and as a model for her own life. Uh, People wonder, how could she have gone through the trial of faith that are expressed in her own uh, journals, which were published uh, not so many years ago? And, of course, we understand that she had actually taken on the despair of the people she was serving, Through her suffering, she was actually absorbing in love the suffering of the people that she was ministering to. Uh, And Therese does the same thing in her own era. She takes on the lack of faith in the the era in which she was uh, living as a means of reparation for those souls. Right. She's a victim soul. She suffers what those other souls don't suffer so that they can have the grace to believe. And she takes on the unbelief. So that's simply put how that works. So the we've talked about the idea of, um, you know, of course, uh, reparation for sin, uh, our love of God being manifested in our life uh, and in our suffering. And I'm drawing from a text now uh, by a Bishop Noser, it's N-O-S-E-R, who wrote this wonderful text called Joy in Suffering. I highly recommend everybody yeah. read this. This is very nice, very uh Compact, um, but very full. Yeah, has a great deal of, uh, of uh, insight on Therese's own experience of suffering, but more importantly, and we'll talk about this when we come back from the break, how she used that suffering to grow in love and in intimacy with our Lord. You're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Looking out on a raging sea, all the chaos in front of me, overwhelmed by the things I can't control, oh, I can't depend on these human hands to get me out of the mess I'm in, and that's the place you find me, that's where you remind me.
Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. I'm Mark Danis with my co-host, Francis Harry. We're talking this evening about Therese of Lisieux and Therese's approach and perspective on suffering and how suffering can be used, uh, Francis, really in a very powerful way. It is not something, and many of our listeners, uh, I have no doubt, I, I, I certainly have experienced this in my own life, struggle with this, side. but suffering, isn't that something I should be avoiding or minimizing? Shouldn't I be praying that God in his power and his glory and his grace and his mercy eliminates my suffering? The fact of the matter is, Therese didn't pray for suffering. We want to be clear about that That's for a second. For sure. yeah. She didn't ask for it because she cautioned. She said, the suffering you ask for becomes your suffering. <laughs> yeah, and God... God is uh, allowing you to have it on your own so that you can realize that yeah. you really do need him. And, to, you know, only only embrace the suffering he sends. Don't ask for any more. Yeah. Okay? You'll get you'll get plenty. Sufficient unto the day are the trials <laughs> yes. thereof. Right. I'm, that's a, a combination of two versions. But nonetheless, uh, I think the point is well made. Therese says, accept the suffering that comes into your life. Pray. Ask to do God's will, and you'll have all the suffering that you can handle. You'll also have all the grace and the strength that you need. And this is a very important point because she says something, and I won't try to find the the, uh, quote directly, but it's very important. This hit me last night as I was reading this text by Bishop Noser that we just mentioned. There is no grace for the suffering that we ask for, that we create, that we take yes. on our own. There's no grace for that. Now, that doesn't mean that if we find ourselves in a difficult situation and we pray, God won't intervene and he won't help us. But what she's saying is when you've reached a more mature level of this uh, intimacy and, and, and understanding of what suffering is, one of the cautions, because one of the traps is the belief that, oh, I'll take on more suffering and that will make me yeah. a better saint or it'll make me that Yeah, I can handle quicker. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, that's pride yes. leaking in. The most dangerous uh, element in a mature spiritual person is still pride. And so Therese is cautioning us, don't ask for your suffering because there's no grace for that. Accept the suffering that comes into your life. It'll be more than you can uh, handle at times. Uh, but, but nonetheless, God will always give you the grace to have the strength to deal with it. So it won't, in fact, be more. It will be more than you could handle as a human person trying to handle it without grace. But God will always give you the grace. Right. And since she knows that God allows this suffering to occur, she wants to embrace it as it comes to her. And she wants to figure out how to handle this. So um, one of those is, well, this suffering is a proof of our love for God. There can be no love without suffering, right? So this reminds us of this self-sacrificial love. We do this all the times in our families when we give up something we want in order to help somebody else do something or we go out of our way to help something uh, happen, to accomplish something for somebody else. So it's in proportion to our willingness to suffer for anyone else is the measure of our love for God. Because we know, like Teresa of Avila tells us, um, we may not know how much we love God, but we certainly know how much we love our neighbor. And it's by how much we love our neighbor is the measure of how much we love God. Yeah, and this is one of the other um, challenging, I guess, ironies of the gospel, right? Um, Wouldn't it have seemed easier, and it does to so many of us, if God had just filled us all with love and let us be love 
and and not have to go through this path. Well, of course, we understand that uh, we must go through this path because of the consequence of original sin and our fallen nature. There has to be a way back. There has to be reparation. And again, Therese stresses, and let's not fall into the trap. She's not saying we must suffer for our sins. That's the reason for suffering. She's not saying that. There's clearly that element at the beginning of our walk with the Lord that he will use to gain our attention and to give us the capacity to come out of ourselves. But ultimately, in making reparation for ourselves and for humanity, suffering is involved because, as you said at the beginning, it's what turns us back to our father, to our parent. And it is also what helps us to know that we're not doing what we're doing in a self-serving way. I mean, no one would obviously continuously take on suffering just for the benefit of the suffering. It's what we know is coming about within us. The second point I know, Francis, that you want to bring up. And also we do this for the rest of the body. Let's talk about these next two points that Bishop Noser Uh, attributes to Therese's teaching on suffering. Right. It's oneness with God. So God gives us this suffering because he longs to give us this magnificent reward. And he knows that suffering is the only means of preparing us to know him as he knows himself and to become ourselves divine. But, But how do sufferings actually make this happen? Well, by conforming us to Christ crucified, for they greatly help to detach us from the earth. Sufferings make us look higher than this world. And she says, besides, life and pain are short. Tomorrow, in a brief hour, we shall be at rest. Nay, even now, God already sees us in glory and rejoices in our everlasting bliss. She says, I understand now why he lets us suffer, which leads us to the third point. Well, just picking up on that second point, and we we talked about this on the break, a very important um, um, correlation here to the um, oneness with Christ. And our Blessed Mother, of course, is the model for this in the incarnation. We are to take on Christ, take on the whole person of Christ. That includes his suffering. That In doing that, then God and Christ and the Trinity dwell within us. Remember, we don't have the capacity to get to this degree of love that we aspire to. We know that we can't love in the way that God loves, that we can't love in a divine way uh, because of our fallen human nature. But by taking on the entire Christ in uh, uh, really a mini version uh, of Mary's um, uh, accepting Christ in the incarnation, we are becoming Christ and we are becoming the whole Christ, which includes the suffering. And the suffering is for the third part, the body, and that's for what, Francis? The ransom of souls. Oh, and this is so huge, and I I hope we all get this. Um, Therese says, Jesus has for us a love so incomprehensible that he does not wish to do anything without making us his cooperators. He wills that we should have a part with him in the salvation of souls. So how does this happen? Well, she says, from the day he raised his standard of the cross... All must fight and win in its shadow, far more by suffering and persecution than by eloquent discourses. Does Jesus Jesus build, wish to build up his kingdom? What what a key point, right? And and he um, Bishop Noser stresses this point, uh, and I would say it this way: 
We know Christ fed thousands. We know he healed people. We know he raised souls from the dead. We know that he did many great works of charity. We know that he taught. He was an eloquent, or at least he, he gathered crowds around him, and he was able to hold their attention, so we know he was a good speaker. And, and he imparted lessons on the gospel and on charity and on love and so forth. But ultimately, Christ's mission was none of those things individually. And his ultimate uh, accomplishment, if you will, was the cross, was Calvary. So we as persons who are trying to imitate Christ and become one with God must see our ultimate end as participation not only in his joy in, in, in recognizing our ultimate destiny of salvation, but also participation in his suffering. And a, a difficult question that each of us has to ask ourselves at some point is, would I be willing to suffer? Would I be willing to take on whatever degree of pain or a psychological difficulty or, or, or trial I might be asked uh, to, to uh, handle if I knew that it would save another soul, but it doesn't do anything for me personally? It doesn't have me uh, benefit in any way. Now, we don't know that that's the case, but let's ask ourselves the question because remember, Philippians 2 tells us Christ emptied himself and he came to save us His stature in heaven, of course, is not modified in any way. He was complete with the Father, but he did it out of love. This is the degree of love that this third element of Therese's teaching is calling us to. It's ransoming other souls through our own suffering, even if it means that there is no personal benefit to us. It's a total selfless love. That's a very high challenge and a very high standard. And so all the little pains and sufferings that come into our life, which are inevitable, even the tiniest ones, offer them up in union with Jesus for the glory of God and salvation of souls. And Therese's uh, autobiography, The Story of a Soul, is so full of examples of this. And I also want to point out that not only are we helping as cooperators in this redeeming of souls, this ransom of souls, but and another example would be how he allows us to create in uh, to participate in creation. You know, we give birth to babies. And so, you know, that is such a miracle. And all of you who have had babies, you know what a miracle this is. And so God is not like hoarding all this stuff up for himself. As every good father, he wants to share the wealth. Just like human fathers want to give the best for their families. So much more does the Heavenly Father want. She says something else on that point, um, going back for one second on this idea of saving souls and this idea of the little things that you mentioned, Francis, how all of what we experience throughout the course of the day, every uh, even minor um, um, inconvenience can serve to uh, benefit souls. And she says, and this is a direct quote, oh, let us not waste our time. Let us save souls. Souls are falling into hell, innumerable as the flakes of snow on a winter's day. And Jesus weeps, and we are brooding over our own sorrow instead of thinking of consoling him. She's raising, again, the bar to a very high standard when she says, all of the little things matter. That's, I think, another great lesson of Therese, uh, the significance of the little things. We've talked about it a few times, but for her, the little things matter. She was not able, as we've said, to go on mission. She was not able to... Um, you know, stand in front of an audience of thousands of people and, and proclaim the word. Uh, she was not uh, able to, to go out into the streets even and, and, and uh, uh, provide acts of charity as uh, uh, Mother Teresa, much later, who used her as a model, was able to do. Instead, Therese's little way 
is the sufferings of everyday life, born with patience, many of them uh, not uh, the little sufferings, of course, her physical, and as we talked about before, some of the uh, psychological, even spiritual sufferings were very significant for her. But she bore them with patience, she bore them with love, and she allowed those very sufferings, those very trials, to transform her into her beloved and into love itself. Right, that leads in, into what are her favorite crosses. And Bishop Noser indicates there's three that he wants to talk about. Her little crosses, the hidden crosses, and the vocational crosses. And in this sense, vocational, we can think of the vocation of our life, whether we're a single or a married or religious. But the little crosses, of course, we know are the little things. That The little things do mean a lot. And Therese says... It is such a joy to think that for each little pain born with joy, we shall love God more throughout eternity. Now, of course, you may not have the felt sense of joy, but there is a a peace united uh, with Christ. And therefore, there is a spiritual joy here of offering this little pain. And she says, we must not slip the small, we must not let slip the smallest opportunity of giving Jesus joy. We must refuse him nothing. We must not let slip one single occasion of sacrifice. And instances of this would be like, you know, um, she was indifferent to what was served to her at the table. So she wasn't picky about what was given her to eat. Yeah, what a, what a minor thing yet in, in the context of uh, our modern era um, you know, Therese, in fact, would, would willingly take the leftovers that were maybe three or four days uh, left over. In fact, there's a story of one of the sisters in the convent saying, well, just, you know, save that for Therese. She's the only one that'll eat that stuff. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, but but it, it seems like such a minor thing. And, of course, we have to ask ourselves. I, I, I can challenge myself on this. If we're asked even to fast for a single day, can we do that? Can we, can we accept Not alone. That? Not yeah. alone. Only can, with God. <laughs> can we accept that challenge? Can we accept that trial to fast even one day? And again, uh, these are the little things. These are the, the little events of everyday life. You know, withholding, as she says in a couple of instances, withholding my uh, frustration over something somebody said, holding my anger, holding my impatience. These are little things. They happen to us every hour of the day. And yet for her... They're big things because they gave her the ability to uh, show her love for the Lord, become one with the Lord, and she, of course, offered them up for souls. Yeah, i got to give a couple of more examples. Um, like, she wouldn't defend herself if she was falsely accused. Um, she would try to stall that curiosity instead of getting an answer to something right away, like her, her heart wanted to like read a special letter. She would purposely wait so, so that, you know, she wouldn't satisfy her curiosity. Um, she would bear cheerfully all these faults of others or their trying situations. This is, I remember the story of the rattling beads of the rosary beads that were making so much noise. That's one of the famous stories. And Therese, instead of using, seeing this as an annoyance and, oh, geez, I just wish she would stop rattling those beads so I could pray, Therese turns it into making it music for the Lord. She she has this wonderful spin. She changes it and makes it good. She takes the little uh, annoyances of every day and she offers them up. And, and this reminds me of those little petals of the rose that she throws up to Christ um, as an act of her love. And, and she reminds us 
And I think this is a very important quote. Our Lord does not look so much at the greatness of our actions, nor even at their difficulty, but at the love with which we do them. It's the love that counts, right? It is. And and we can fall victim again to this um, uh, false uh, perspective that it's the importance of how many charitable works we do, how many rosaries we pray, how many uh, novenas we pray, or how many masses we attend, whatever, all very good, all very uh, appropriate. But if we've put ourselves in the center of the expression of love, then of course, uh, the, the importance of it is minimized. And what Therese is saying is, no, take on the challenge, take on the trial, and love through that. That's where the highest degree of love is expressed. That's the model for her, the beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the model of where that is done and how that is done. And she wants to do this in a hidden way, too. These hidden crosses are big for her. She says, the more the suffering is and the less it appears before men, the more it is to thy honor and glory. So uh, to keep them so that no one else can see them, these little acts of charity practiced in the dark, uh, she offers up for the conversion of souls. Yeah, going back to your point about joy, and I I think it's an important point that she stresses as well. Uh, She says, here you find joy. But this joy, as you said, Francis, it's not a sensible joy. We have to distinguish. It's not the sort of joy that the world might provide us, you know, by benefit of getting something that we want or... It's uh, not sadistic joy, yeah. like we get joy out of pain. Not it's, that at all. No, no, no. This is a joy that is very internal. It's very deep. It, it, it brings a level of peace. Uh, but we may still be, as she was so often, suffering through that experience of joy. The joy comes in the knowing that we are doing God's will, comes in the knowing that we are manifesting love in the midst of our Uh, trial and suffering in the way that our Lord did. And so we are doing the Lord's will, and that's what brings us joy. Very different from uh, our normal um, perception, if you will, of joy. And of course, the text that we're quoting from here in in large part uh, still is a bishop noser. Um, It's a novena, nine-day novena, instruction on prayer, but it's titled Joy in Suffering. And it's a wonderful text, Francis, that, as you uh, suggest, we, we would highly recommend, but most especially I think we'd recommend it for someone who may be going through a trial in their life now. You may be struggling with a physical uh, illness. You may be struggling with great mental anguish. Maybe there are family members who are in trial. This is a wonderful text. I know it's available in most any good Catholic bookstore. Uh, it is a nine-day novena, which, again, Francis, as you point out, gives us a great teaching on Therese's uh, experience of suffering, but also how she used that suffering in so many ways, as we've said, uh, to to express her love and her union with our Lord. And this is such a paradox, isn't it, that there's joy in suffering? Uh, it kind of reminds me of something I read of Teresa Vavla about how um, the devil can never join pain and joy together. And yet here, Therese is suffering is showing how this joy may be found. And so in this sense, you know, uh, what a beautiful grace. And we can all ask for this grace, that we can understand suffering, that we can bear suffering patiently, and that we can embrace it. So not just bear it, but embrace it. Right. And and we said this at the beginning, of course, that um, we would talk about how Therese didn't just overcome it. And she didn't just bear it. She actually used it. And what a powerful thing. Of course, 
Uh, we know Teresa talks about how at some point in uh, her relationship with uh, with evil, uh, you know, the demons become afraid uh, of a Christian, a mature Christian, because that that Christian can do great damage to the kingdom of evil. Amen. <laughs> by virtue of the fact that everything that is thrown at them is simply absorbed and taken into uh, 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 taking us into a deeper intimacy. I've used this expression before that we don't um, uh, fight the evil in our world. We don't try to uh, overcome it. We don't beat it back. What we actually do is what Christ did in absorbing and 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 um, holding the cross. We take that evil in and we love it literally to death. Oh, That's how we beat back the darkness. Love it to death. I we like love that. it to death. Exactly. Now, Therese picks up on one theme from St. John of the Cross, and I want to uh, to emphasize this because it goes with this idea that we've just talked about, um, the importance of love in the kingdom. And she says, the least act of pure love is worth more for God and the church than all the good works put together. Of course, she takes that from St. John of the Cross, uh, but for her, that was very important. She knew um, and we know we related the experience that she had at a very young age when she was struggling with what might be her unique vocation. Would she, uh, for example, perhaps give mission? Would she write? Would she uh, speak? And, of course, uh, we know at some stage she realized, she came to the revelation, no, my mission, my my um, entire focus in the church is going to be love. And we say, well, of course, how simple. Everybody knows that. But yet our Holy Father, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, points to Therese as not just someone who talked about love, but as a doctor of the church in the science of love. There's something very deep about this young uh, Carmelite nun and the experience she had with suffering and the way that she used it that we need to take time to reflect. We should also caution our listeners that uh, Francis, as uh, you and I have talked about before, she Therese says something about reading books and reading too many books and what you get out of it. But what she's really saying is you can read about this. You can hear about it. Other people can tell you about it. You can listen to Mark and Francis give you some insight on the experience of one great saint with regard to suffering. But the reality is we don't know this experience. We don't learn from this experience. And we aren't transformed by this experience until we have this experience. And we, we all will. <laughs> and we all will. It's only a question of how we'll how, deal with it. Yeah, how we handle it. How will we respond to it? And Let's of course, make it good. How does Therese respond to it? We're not going to talk about her prayer life um, uh, uh, this evening because we do want to uh, spend some in-depth time talking about that. But um, as we get ready to close here before prayer, how does Therese deal with suffering? Let's be very uh, direct about this. She deals with it by transmitting it into love of God, into allowing it to unify her own experience with her lover, the Lord, uh, our Lord and Savior. And she did that, of course, by meditating on the crucifixion a great deal. And ultimately, she knows that she's become part of the Lord's mission, and she's participating in the salvation of humanity. And those were the, the means that she used to transmit all of her suffering and absorb all of her suffering so that she could literally love it to death. Can we do it on our own? Can we intellectualize that? Can we uh, expect to overcome all of that, even through deep prayer? No. No. The Lord has to take over at some point. John of the Cross talked to us about the, the, the nights, and uh, Teresa talked to us about the uh, seven uh, dwelling places within the castle. And at some point, the reality is, for us, the Lord has to take over. That comes later in it, at, at more mature levels of the spiritual life. Teresa 
um, expresses it in the in the seven uh, levels. Uh, Therese expresses it very simply, and it's growing in love. There's nothing more complicated. And it's all is grace. And all is grace, exactly. Yes. So are we ready for a closing prayer? Yes. Could you lead us in a closing prayer, please? All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear St. Therese, seraph of divine love, consumed as a victim of Holocaust by the flames of divine love, I thank God for all the love with which he overwhelmed you and for your generosity toward him. Obtain for us an ardent and generous love that knows no such thing as the impossible, but makes everything sweet and easy in spite of the sharpest pain that may accompany it. Pray for us that we too may become one with Jesus, for only thus shall we be able to really love God as we ought and labor effectively to make him loved by saving souls. Amen. Amen. Just a quick programming note. Next week we'll pick up on the theme of Therese, and we'll be talking about Therese's prayer. And, of course, we'll build on both her biographical sketch that we did in the first week in this um, uh, presentation on Therese and suffering, and we'll talk specifically about how she utilizes prayer uh, to get her through so many of these trials in life. Until then, God bless, and thank you for listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home.